The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, financial crimes, and some sad truths about humanity. Saturday the 17th of April 2021, the Autumn Series continues with today's special guest, David Gerrard. His Twitter profile says, I write about why cryptocurrency is dumb and bad. And he does. He'll tell us some fundamental truths. The thing is about Bitcoin, it was invented by anarcho-capitalists. He'll make some sharp observations. All the innovation in crypto in the last 10 years, since you could change it for money, has been larger and more elaborate ways to scam people. And he'll come to a clear conclusion. Everything about it is just so dumb. This is the 9pm Dumb Anarcho-Capitalist Blockchain Scams with David Gerrard. And we'll mention Elon Musk, obviously. David Gerrard or Gerrard, which would you prefer? And welcome to The Edict. Good evening. Look, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, uh, and we're going to be talking about blockchain and Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, uh, which apparently, according to this guy, listen to this grab, this is the kind of thing we hear all the time, uh, that uh, cryptocurrency is going to be huge in 2021, uh, which is now, uh, and it's exciting. I mean, just listen to this guy. Cryptocurrency is about to explode in 2021. Bitcoin, Ethereum, these coins are just the beginning. This is the greatest wealth transfer that the world has ever seen. This is the first cycle where people realize that Bitcoin is here to stay, that cryptocurrency is here to stay. Watch this video and you will understand. Yeah, well, we won't watch the video, uh, David, but that's from Altcoin Daily. It bills itself as uh, the best cryptocurrency news media online, exclamation mark. And as far as I can tell, it consists mostly of constant claims that everything's going to be worth bazillions in the very near future and exclamation marks. So is this normal? Crypto YouTube's fantastic because it all in, it entirely lives off ads. None of these people are fabulously experienced traders because when – there was a time a couple of years ago when YouTube decided to kick all the crypto people off, uh, which they later decided was an error, so they let them back on again. But they screamed blue murder because they weren't interested in going to BitChute or DLive or whatever little pissweek alternative YouTubes. They wanted the one with the actual viewers and advertising on it because they don't make money from coins. They make money from ads. <laughs> but there are people making money from coins. Oh, there are, absolutely. You can totally make money in crypto. I will never say you can't make money in crypto because you manifestly can. You're just much more likely to lose your shirt and be the sucker that the other guys make their money from because it's one of those schemes. But you'll always hear from the guys who made it big and you'll never hear from the losers because they just sort of quietly disappear. <laughs> now, we should do a quick prime-up for people who kind of vaguely know about this, but want to make sure they got it right. I thought how we might do this is I'll try explaining some of it and then you can tell me where I'm wrong. Okay? Okay. So, okay, so Bitcoin, it's first up, it's a digital currency. Okay, that's easy. And the idea is that 
this is a digital currency that is not connected to any government or whatever, but to a thing called the blockchain. Okay. You're yeah. not saying it with enough resonance in the voice. The blockchain. <laughs> Remember, you're oh, a tech journalist. You're, you're a tech journalist. You have to use hype. Oh, I'm too old for hype, David. But the blockchain. Correct. Okay. Okay. It's based on a th- the blockchain. I, I worked out how to kind of sort of explain this. It's a ledger, which means every transaction's just written written into it one after the other. There's a running total, if you like, so that every time there's a transaction, you kind of add together the amount of that transaction, um, the ID number of who it's to, who it's from, a magic number, and you write that running total down. And as each transaction gets added on, this magic running total keeps getting recalculated and added on. And you just use fancy cryptographic techniques to make sure that it's very difficult to fake that number. So that's good, but you or that description almost gives it too much credit. Oh, okay. Because it's like really stupid. So I've got this down to about a few sentences now. Excellent. <laughs> Whenever you ask Bitcoin people about this, like, so where's the magic money come from? They go, oh, the technology is very complicated. You wouldn't understand. Just just keep doing the things. You'll get rich for free. Um, <laughs> so you and I know that when people start talking like that about technology, it's time to look inside the box. Yes. So um, the blockchain itself is super, super simple. It is non-magical technology. It is just a... Um, data structure, a hash tree or a Merkle tree in 1979. Um, you can basically add new data to it, but you can't alter the previous data without it being obvious. Now, this is obviously useful. It's widely used, you know. Um, like, but that makes sense. And it's, as I say, it's kind of the equivalent of a ledger where you write one entry yeah. per line in pen. So exactly. it's really hard um, to go back and erase it. Any programmer who's used Git, they've used something that uses something like this, you know. Um, so that's really simple. So the blockchain is just this ledger plus a mechanism for deciding who gets to add the next line. Right. Now, you ask then, where's the magic come from? So the, tr- the hard part about Bitcoin is not what Bitcoin is, but why Bitcoin is. What they wanted right. was digital cash. Now, that's a simple idea. You know, we've got the internet now. We can use that instead of sending notes back and forth to each other. The way we do it now is we have a central authority, which is usually your bank and the banking system. Um, And this works pretty well, but it's very, very centralized. So the thing is about Bitcoin, it was invented by anarcho-capitalists who think, wow, we should have money that has no government involvement whatsoever. The threat model at every step was the government. This is important, Right. right? Their threat model was the government could come in and tax them, which is the worst <laughs> thing in the world. So uh, this is taxation is theft anarchy, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, the sort of anarchists who actual anarchists get really, really pissed off at. So um, they uh, invented, they had this whole plan for this money like in the 80s and 90s. And they, these ideas were going around in their circles. And they were into... Um, 
what's called Austrian economics, which is a fancy version of being a gold bug who wants to go back on the gold standard because you know, it isn't like we went off it because it stopped working. You know, um, There's a lot to critique in the present system, but Bitcoin has come up with a system that would actually be worse, uh, which is quite a trick. But um, um, the main thing that saves us from Bitcoin is none of this stuff works properly. So they came up with a system that was designed to fulfill um, this threat model. So all transactions are irreversible. Like if you make a mistake or your money gets stolen, you're out of luck. If I pick your pocket from the other side of the world, those are my coins now. Um, <laughs> this makes it very brittle. It's really hard to use as currency, as money. Um, well, we have seen this come through in in stories, of course, as you say, theft. And someone says, well, someone's stolen my Bitcoin. How do I help? And they go, well, there's no one to help you. There is... There isn't anyone. There Could isn't an authority or customer. No, or customer service. There's no one to complain to. Um, Hundred BTC. Yeah. Nah. Also, what they did was they pressed the uh, paper and string proof of concept into service, which do- is not good engineering practice, and it turns out it couldn't scale. So it's got a really low transaction capacity seven transactions per second worldwide on the whole system. Yeah. It's like about four to seven, more or less, on average. But yeah. And um, this filled by about 2015. Um, The way they do the decentralization was by the worst, most inelegant kludge in the whole world, which was proof-of-work mining, where you waste electricity to prove that you are not a fake person and you can't, it's, it's something you can't fake. So what you do is you just throw electricity away. Uh, this has actually no limit on how much electricity you can throw away because the system increases the difficulty with the more people participate. So it's literally anti-efficient. And this leads to Bitcoin using a whole country's worth of electricity. And in the last couple of months, this has really, really come to public attention. And it turns out people aren't very happy about that. So yeah, yeah, look, we'll get to so, yeah. It's dumb. Everything about it is just so dumb. <laughs> yeah, look, we'll get to the energy thing. We'll get to various aspects of this. The other thing I thought we'd better mention to is, of course, altcoins, alternate coins. Bitcoin is just the first of these things, and there's yep. many, many others that. I mean, really just spawned off because uh, various people wanted to get in on the act and the, the early Bitcoin purchasers had already made yep. their money. Yep. You want to print your own magical internet money and get rich for free. Okay. Because the whole goal was basically the whole pitch for Bitcoin is that you can get rich without working for it. This is a really, really popular product, right? You don't even have to deliver. If you just offer the product, it's going to be hugely, hugely popular. So that has been the entire consistent promise of Bitcoin ever since you could change them for real money, which has been like 2011 or so. Um, Now, we have seen the quote value, unquote, of Bitcoin against real money like US dollars climb from the point where you needed multiple Bitcoin to buy a pizza, the classic example, to now, as we record this on Tuesday, the 13th of April, Bitcoin is up near its highest ever, more than 61,000 US dollars per Bitcoin 
in part by uh, because a Bitcoin exchange where you can buy and sell Bitcoin and presumably change it for actual money is listing on the stock exchange um, any minute now. And I will so, say it will have done so by the time this podcast is posted later in the week. So uh, I would caution I'll you put on a that tag at the end. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people see the price doing things and they go, hmm, there must be various complicated market narratives going on here because life happens in stories. So it turns out it doesn't. Um, this is a very thin <laughs> market. It's very manipulated. And I could like talk for an hour just about Bitcoin market manipulations and all the blatant shenanigans that are going on. And I would actually put cause and effect backwards. Coinbase is listing because there's a Bitcoin bubble and they want to get out while they can. To convert it to shares, to sell shares. and Yep. And There's some a whole of bunch of venture capitalists now. who've had their money in there for years. This is their chance and they're getting out while they're getting out's good before this bubble pops. One of those people is, uh, in fact, the patron cunt of this podcast, Elon Musk. <laughs> um, he's he... a, I don't think he's actually a big uh, Coinbase shareholder, but he's just he's just being... Um... He has been talking up the concept of of. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, oh, yeah. though. He's um so like Elon Musk is a he's the sort of guy who could have been a techie and paints himself as a techie, but isn't actually one. Like his degrees no. in physics, but he um went into the executive suite. Um, and 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 he's proved to be quite successful at starting some at successful companies you know. and making money and yeah yeah, yeah. and um, second richest man in the world and all that. Well, yeah, it's like yeah I. Uh, it's really pissing me off that he went into Bitcoin because the thing was that I can forgive Elon Musk quite a lot of his considerable nonsense because he he's actually useful in talking up energy transition, right? Um, uh-huh. you, can question, you can question what Tesla does, like electric cars, they've got a real problem with recyclability, recyclability and reconditioning of batteries, stuff like that, you know, um, as you move from a carbon-based economy to a metals-based economy. The, res- the renewables economy is metals-based, and this is all getting way off into the woods. But the thing is, even with his bullshit, I can forgive him that if he keeps saying the stuff about energy transition, because actual energy transition energy transition people find this really useful. They can talk to politicians and say, Musk, and they go, oh, we've heard of him. Yeah, he's cool. You know, And he made electric cars cool instead of awful nerd toys. He made a Tesla into a desirable object, stuff like that. And that was great. He was actually doing a useful thing in the world, and now mm-hmm. he's talking Bitcoin bollocks, which literally cancels out everything Tesla's ever done. And, geez, what you doing, mate? You know? Um <laughs> He he was he was onto doing a useful thing, and now he's now he's just trashed that because he's got the attention span of a nerd, you know. There for the, well, but yes. for the grace of billions of dollars, go you or I. But you know, he's got the microphone. <laughs> well, that is that is true. Billionaires do get to have the microphone big time. We should mention a little bit about that energy consumption because the reason that's a thing is that essentially. As you say, there is no single copy of this ledger. It's basically yep. lots and lots of people are running copies of this ledger and they all do it and then, quote, everyone, unquote, agrees, yes, that's that's all the same, that's legit. And if someone tries to defraud that, they go, no, 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 
99% of the people calculating this have got this, you, yours must be spurious and wrong and fraudulent. Is that yeah. it? More okay. or less. More or less. So the way that Bitcoin mining works, I'm going to have to explain this, is that, right, they wanted a way of decentralizing it and they came up with the worst kludge, which is that you throw electricity away and you get, it basically runs as a cryptographic lottery. Like it's, the press talks about runs complex calculations. They're not complex, right? You take the block of transactions that are waiting, you calc you add a number, you guess a number, that's called the nonce. So Bitcoin is full of nonces and you, <laughs> in the number of senses, and you... <laughs> I, I, it, it, I will it's put wonderful. in a link explaining why <laughs> that usage of the word nonce is, is it's a mathematical concept, not... I learned a lot moving to London, I can tell you. But uh, oh, yeah. it's fantastic here on rainy fascist nonce island. It's wonderful. But um, so you, you, you guess a number and then you run a hash of the whole lot. And if the hash comes out to a low enough value, you win the Bitcoins. That's all it is. It's a hash, the simplest bloody calculation. It's not complex. It's just hard because they said an arbitrary difficulty. You have to like have a low enough number. And if too many people participate... Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold up. on. I have always misunderstood that bit. If it's just who's, who's ever hash is the lowest, that just depends which nonce you were lucky enough to guess. Yes, it's a lottery. To begin with. You guess sextillions of numbers every 10 minutes with one winner. That's it. I told you it was, I told you you were giving it too much credit. It's really, really dumb and simple. And like, it's interesting as a proof of concept, right? Because no one had ever quite done this trick of a completely decentralized digital token system. Um, so that's, genuinely technically impressive but impressive and interesting is not the same as feasible and it's not the mm. same as a good idea because people who want to win this lottery want to buy more tickets and buying a ticket is burning electricity to crunch numbers yes to guess numbers and run hashes and guess numbers and run hashes and maybe you win the bitcoins and as you know people will do anything for money particularly free money particularly free money. Except you've so, got to pay for the electricity. It, it, it's absolutely dumb as hell. So this didn't even achieve the decentralization trick because by like it's got economies of scale. The bigger you are, the more you can mine and more efficiently, more hashes per kilowatt hour. So they um, basically had all re-centralized by 2014. So okay. for the last seven years, Bitcoin has been running what's functionally a centralized system. There's like three or four big mining pools. You can have 80% of Bitcoin mining capacity standing on a stage together. We know they talk to each other and work together. And it's mostly concentrated in China because China has the cheapest commercial electricity in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, why? Because that's how they do it. It's literally pointless. It is so stupid. Indeed, there's a research out this week uh, from China that says the energy use for cryptocurrencies in China alone, uh, within three years, that will be using as much energy as the entirety of Italy. Yep. And if, you, if, if Bitcoin mining or cryptocurrency mining was uh, 
a city in China, it would be in the top 10 cities for electricity use. So up there with, I don't know, Shandong uh, or, or someone. Yeah, this is absolutely the worst thing about Bitcoin and it's the worst news for Bitcoin. And I've been saying for a while now that like normal people, they don't know this. So they think, oh, yeah, it's dumb nerd money where they scam each other. Yeah, that's stupid and funny. Which is true. I mean, it is that. Yeah, it is that. But then they find out about the CO2 production and they get angry, and which is yeah. quite correct. And I am really, really glad, like, um, in the last couple of months, all the media coverage has been has mentioned the uh, ghastly CO2 production. Um, Bitcoiners know that this is their biggest problem, so they make the most bizarre excuses about it. Uh, Bitcoin is actually a battery, if you think about it. I won't analyze that one because it's like... What? Oh, yeah, because uh, you can transport electricity from one place to another as money. Um, no, it's not supposed to make sense. Um, well, they've succeeded in that. Um, yes. I mean, what, what has it been to be? See, here's the thing. Is Bitcoin an asset to collect and have it appreciate in value, like an artwork or a valuable metal? Is it cash for everyday transactions so that I can pay like my bills with it or buy a hamburger? I mean, it sounds like it's trying to be both, but in reality, it's neither. So... Bitcoin was literally created to be, quote, an electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash system, unquote. Like the guy who invented Bitcoin, um, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is a pseudonym. No one knows who he was. But he wrote this system and he wrote the white paper, which that's literally what he intended. He wanted this to be digital cash. They tried really hard to make it digital cash. Uh, they couldn't get shops to adopt it because... The process would be Bitcoiners would nag a shop to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, the shop would take on Bitcoin. No one would use it. They'd shut it down, and then they get more complaints from Bitcoiners than had ever used the coin because they don't spend their Bitcoins. They just wanted to validate the concept of Bitcoin because, you know, they're totally not a cult or anything like that. Um, this more or less gave out around 2015 because Bitcoin hit its very low transaction capacity in 2015. And um, suddenly transactions went from being fast and free to being slow and expensive. And suddenly you couldn't use it for transactions or for buying things with. Now, I knew, I know, knew people who actually successfully took Bitcoin for money at the time. Um, I've got a case study in the book, Individual Pubs, uh, which was a pub run by a computer scientist. He sold it on now. But um, he accepted Bitcoin because like, he was saying, I want to about it might accept Bitcoin in my pub and I'd sort of looked at him and went, you are the one man who could do this and do well out mm -hmm. of it because he knew exactly what a Bitcoin was and he wasn't going to accept techno bollocks. Um, so he successfully took Bitcoins for food and beer, which is great. But um, by 2017, transactions were so clogged that he couldn't get them through in time before the person would have left the pub and oh. he couldn't you can't sell food and beer with a $20 transaction charge on. So um, he switched it off. Like literally a shop that was successfully taken Bitcoin couldn't take it because it sucked so bad as money. So then they shifted to the new narrative because it's all narratives, right? It's all memes. And the only message is buy Bitcoin um, mm. is now store of value. 
which it's a joke as a store of value because the value goes up and down so much. 10% in a day, that's not a store of value. That's gambling. And, you know, if you want to gamble, fine. Uh, but it's not a store of value. Uh, digital gold. The only people comparing Bitcoin to gold are Bitcoin fans. No one else takes it seriously. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it's so many multiple varieties of whatever bullshit they can throw at it to try to market Bitcoin. And the whole message is buy Bitcoin. Um, because you can't do anything with Bitcoin. It's just a sort of, under most countries' laws, it's now a commodity like gold or pork bellies or something. It's a pile of stuff you can have a quantity of and you can mm -hmm. buy, sell, or trade it. Fine. Um, and pay capital gains tax appropriately or whatever it's called in your country. Absolutely. Um, so the thing is that you can't do anything with it. It has no other use case. And there's no Bitcoin economy. Like if you have a large pile of Bitcoins, that's not capital you can invest in the approved capitalist manner. You know, you can't build a factory with it or something. All you can do with it is sell it on. It's only ever a substitute for dollars. Um, so that's what you've got there is basically you buy a Bitcoin, you've got a hot potato. What do you do with it? You have to sell it on to someone who pays you more than you paid. And all they can do is sell it on to someone else who pays more than they paid. And it's um, sort of like whoever ends up at the peak is the bag holder. And then they have to spend the next three years saying, Bitcoin's going to go to the moon any moment now and hope that someone will buy their Bitcoins from them. Now, you did allude to the book just then, your first book, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain. Now, that's from 2017. Why Why did you write that? Was it just anger? So I was going – I was had no money, and I said, oh, I'd like some more money. And I was talking to my friend Elizabeth Sandifer, who I had just worked on her book, Neo Reaction, a Basilisk, which is about the neo-reactionaries who became what we know as the alt-right um, – a bunch uh -huh. of charmless internet troll neo-Nazis, um, which is a great book and everyone should read it. And I'm not just saying that because my name's in the first sentence. It's actually well, very Well, we good. will uh, link to that along with everything else on the podcast website as always. So um, anyway, I said, I need to make some money. And she said, why don't you write a book? And I knew we could do this because she'd just done it. And um, so, you know, why Bitcoin is stupid? Spend about a week. 15,000 words don't work too hard. So nine months, 55,000 words and 400 footnotes later, I had a book. Um, my, I didn't originally have an audience for this. It was just going to be um, for snide techies like me to point and laugh at this dumb thing. Um, I expect to sell maybe 300 copies because that's what you sell of on Kindle. If you've got reasonable social media, you can sell 300 of anything if it's halfway good. So this eventually came out. I started it late 2016 when nobody cared about Bitcoin. It was this thing that had happened years before. And by the time it came out, July 2017, the bubble was in full swing, the 2017 Bitcoin bubble. And because look, look, it has multiple bubbles, it can't do anything but bubble. I expect there'll be another one in 2024, 2025. Um, so then the book took off because there were no critical books about Bitcoin. There were like three in total. You know, um, one of the others, which I will recommend, is The Politics of Bitcoin by David Columbia, um, which is all about the libertarian roots of Bitcoin and their weird and uh, ANCAT politics. Um, it's one of these books I tell everyone to get all the time. 
It's a great book. I, I cribbed from it heavily for chapter two of my book, <laughs> uh, which I f- freely acknowledge. I could have written, I had to write a chapter about libertarians and Bitcoin. And that was, and basically he supplied my entire bibliography. It was excellent. So yeah, everyone should get that book because I, I cribbed from it hugely. <laughs> but um, <laughs> So the book took off and it's like a self-published hit and it's like coming up to 12,000 copies sold now, which is like, that's bestseller status. And it's the sort of hit that for doesn't happen. a non-fiction, happen. yeah. It's the sort of hit that does wow. not happen for a non-fiction Kindle self-published book. Like my second one is Libra Shrugged, which is about Facebook's dumb Libra cryptocurrency, which is now called DM. Before you say any more, here's a grab from uh, when that first came out. They're not called Zuckerbucks, but Facebook just reinvented digital money. Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency will launch early next year, and it's more like PayPal than Bitcoin. It's designed to be easy enough for everyone to use, but it's still complicated to understand. So I'm going to break it down for you nice and simple. Libra is like cash that lives inside your phone. You'll be able to buy Libra through Libra wallet apps on your phone or from some local grocery and convenience stores. You cash in your local currency like dollars and get nearly the same number of Libra coins, which are represented by this wavy three-line emoji instead of the dollar symbol. But first, you'll have to verify your identity with a photo ID. You'll then be able to spend your Libra while online shopping or potentially pay for things like Ubers or your subscription for Spotify since those companies have partnered with Facebook to make Libra popular. Since it's almost free to digitally move Libra from one account to another, you won't have to pay high credit card processing fees that can add almost 4% to your total. And some Libra wallet apps and shops will give bonus discounts or free coins for signing up and paying with Libra. Now that's from June 2019 uh, from TechCrunch. Sounds... Um, why do... Yeah. I, I put all my I give all my money to Facebook and then they pay people. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. So now you and I live in civilized countries. That's civilized with an S. So we like have digital money on cards and it works really well. Uh-huh. Uh, but US consumer banking is basically trash. So I think that the way that Facebook came up with this was they had this thing was imagine if you could pay for your coffee with the touch of your phone. You mean like I can now. Or if you could go on the metro with your phone, you mean like I can now. You know. Yeah, or it, anyone in Europe can. Or yeah. Or bizarre. dare I say it, anyone in Kenya can use the phone cash they have there, which is handled by their phone company, and you send an SMS to someone to transfer money to them. So Libra Shrugged is basically about a book about Silicon Valley tech arrogance because these people looked out their window in Menlo Park and they went, hmm, I'll come up with a system for the whole world based on what I can't do here. Mm. And I want to stress, these guys were very sincere. Like they really, really thought they were going to do a great thing that would make the world a wonderful place by releasing their magical digital cash that works a bit like using a bank card now does except not quite as well um like basically libra was started by four bitcoin fans inside facebook and Mm. they came up with this plan where facebook could have its own they started with "Hmm, what can we use a blockchain for with two billion people so in the manner of terrible blockchain ideas they started with the blockchain and they tried to find a use for it this never works i have a hammer what else can i 
bash with my hammer. I have a wheel with three sides. What can I use it on? So maybe I can add a fourth side or a fifth side. Oh, I don't know. It's steady on. But um, it's it was so – it was like they took this idea to Zuckerberg who um, – now, I can't read minds, but I'm going on past behavior here. So David Marcus, the executive who led the Libra effort, uh, Libra is called DM now. They changed the name because that'll definitely fox the regulators. Um, but um, David Marcus, who leads l- the, led the Libra effort, he um, is a payments guy. He's been in payments for a decade. He used to be an executive at PayPal. He knows payments thoroughly. And somehow he thought this was a great idea. And... Marcus is a very sincere guy, right? He says things, he means them. He's got a good track record of his words matching his behavior. That's excellent. He's a very sincere guy. Zuckerberg has an excellent track record of his words having nothing to do with his behavior and pulling absolute shit and getting caught apologizing and then doing it again. Again, this is documenting behavior. I'm not attributing thoughts, anything here. This is all extensively documented, and I mentioned some of it in the book. So I'm thinking that Zuckerberg was thinking, governments really annoy me. What if I didn't have to worry about them? What if I could just work around them? And what about all that money we've got trapped in other countries we can't repatriate? Just imagine if we had our own money. So I think there was a lot of that going on. And also, of course the prospect of having a giant sucking data hoover perched above the entirety of consumer commerce, I think um, probably quite appealed. And it's like this was such an obviously bad idea because none of this scheme would work and all the regulators and central bankers immediately went, no, you're not doing that. Bullshit. No, definitely not. So I've written a book where the central banks are the good guys which was quite an achievement. But compared to Facebook, they really were. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back with David Jarrett in just a moment. Um, But I wanted to quickly update you on where Bitcoin is because we recorded on Tuesday the 13th of April where it was – soaring. Uh, the the big price was back on the 13th of March, though, 61742 US dollars. Well, today it's $62,206.90. That's up about three quarters of a percent since last month. And I also wanted to to make note of of what that bitcoin booster said in that youtube clip where he says bitcoin is the greatest wealth transfer the world has ever known from who to whom like where is the wealth being transferred he didn't say what i also find interesting is that that phrase the greatest transfer of wealth in human history or whatever it might be keeps turning up all over the place. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Dmitry Alperovich, uh, who uh, is a cybersecurity specialist and and has advised the US government and so on, he said that Chinese hackers stealing American intellectual property was the greatest transfer of wealth in human history by stealing designs and sometimes even money. Um, More traditionally, 
like the age of European exploration and colonization and slavery is that remember when you know the white people went and stole all the gold and the resources and enslaved everyone that was kind of a big transfer of wealth uh, it's also been used to describe uh, the way that money has gone from the poorest people to the richest people since let's say the 1970s uh, and some people have even said even during COVID-19 alone that's happened uh, and there's one kicking around at the moment that the greatest transfer of wealth that we'll ever know is when boomers hand on their real estate to their kids once they die it strikes me again as a kind of Western-centric version. But there's been so many greatest transfers of human wealth, whatever, you know what I mean. Um, while we're doing the housekeeping, uh, the next episode, not sure. I've got cartoonist John Kadelka and cartoonist Kathy Wilcox uh, in the queue because they were part of uh, the uh, the autumn series, but I'm having trouble settling uh, settling some dates. I think it's school holidays are still running. Uh, they end this weekend, I think. So uh, that'll happen. But I've also started a possible campaign, the 9pm More Autumn Series 2021, uh, to keep going because I'm getting great feedback on these episodes uh, and uh, I just thought, look, let's get a little more money in and uh, keep going. So that's at the 9pmedic.com slash moreautumn2021, okay? The 9pmedic.com slash moreautumn2021 or just look for me on Possible. We are already 52% of the way to Target 1 and that will be uh, for four more episodes in this series beyond the two you're already owed. I've already penciled in Friends of the Pod, Mark Humphreys and... John Birmingham, so it'll be great to get them on again. Uh, feelers are out for, for others. And if we hit target two, there'll be a Public House Forum episode. So that's something to look forward to. We haven't had one since 2018, would you believe? Three years, which is incredible. Uh, so so please support that. Uh, just look for the Autumn Series 2021 uh, on the possible. Uh, and of course, it's thanks to all of you who have contributed to the, the 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 main part of the autumn series here. You're all listed on the website. Of course, you made this episode possible. And I'd also like to thank uh, some people who've who've done some other contributions. Someone called Trev, who with a new schooner level subscription gets himself three trigger words. So Trev, uh, get in touch. I don't seem to have your details here, and we'll work out how to do that. And also someone else uh, chucked some money and I, th I think they want to remain anonymous because they entered their name as, well, I hope this is keyboard buff, I'm going out on a limb here, but I don't think that's an actual name. But thank you so much for your support. Uh, but tips are fine, but even if you wanted to chuck in like a one-off tip of, you know, five or ten bucks this time, do it as a pledge to the possible campaign because that, well, that'll just be better for reaching that target, won't it? So that's uh, the9pmedic.com slash moreautumn2021.
before we go back to the wonderful world of uh, blockchain, David, I want to talk a little bit about Rock Nerd. It's a blog, isn't it? Yes, it's my music blog. So this actually had some history in Australia. Um, it originally started in 2001. Um, it was basically a blog done by a guy called Ben Butler, who is now a Last I heard, a finance journalist at The Australian. Ah, at The but Guardian now. He was in the music at the time. So, and I knew him, and because back in the 80s, I did an indie rock fanzine called Party Fears in Perth, and it was oh. the toast of the town at the time. And I was doing rock journalism as well, and it turns out it pays really badly. So, <laughs> then I remembered that I was good with these computer things, and I got into IT and got paid a lot more money, and I live a lot more comfortably these days. I have a day job as a senior sysadmin where my life is about half meetings and public relations, but I touch computers occasionally. So it's really good. But so. Do they touch you back? No, 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 that never happens. But (laughs) overpaid computer toucher. So Mm. that and being a writer meant that I was equipped to understand this Bitcoin thing. But anyway, the Rocknerd thing. Uh, Rocknerd.org, as it was, was basically Ben's site and I was the other guy. And we made quite a lot of trouble in indie music in Melbourne in the early 2000s. It was quite a lot of fun. Then Ben finally got a proper journalism job and we more or less lost interest and the site went into abeyance. Then I got went, oh, I wish I had a music blog. So I started up rocknerd.co.uk. And um, I was trying to do that a fair bit a few years ago, but then I started this book and suddenly I had this um, site that people actually read because no one reads the music blog. But, you know, it's fun and I do it. But they do read your blockchain blog. They do. Um, Mm. But, yes, so you're the first person in years to ask about Rock Nerd who wasn't actually attaching a review of a terrible metal record for me to write about. (laughs) I'm on all the mailing lists for reviews and they're they're mostly bad. But (laughs) Of course. It's fantastic. Um, I will uh, never I mean, write about your bad metal. Bad. I want to assure people that I will never review your bad metal record. I do want to ask you about two things, though, yep, yep. in relation to Rock Nerd, neither of which are about bad metal. In all caps on the homepage, it says, Drum Machine must be stopped. Drum Machine is killing black metal. Drum Machine is Nick's keyboard slash crutch and is dagger in the back of black metal. Please explain. So that's one of the rotating quotes. That that little oh, okay. box is actually a little rotating quote generator. Um, that was a link to a an image that I found that had that sentence on it, and I just presented the image and went, "Wow, this is cool." Does anyone know where the hell this is from? It's <laughs> I know from, it's, a, it's a great line. It's certainly someone who does not like drum machines. It, it's a photocopy from some metal fanzine. I would guess from the nineteen nineties. And that would make sense given what else was happening in music at the time. So, yeah, um, because, you know, the biggest problem in rock and roll is always to get a drummer and let alone a good drummer. And so Mm. you can see people going for um, a drum machine and you can see it sucking. So, yes. um, Unless you know what you're doing with it. Yeah. I felt a heartfelt plea like that. You know, not everyone can be big black, you know, but um, a heartfelt plea like that. I felt it deserved commemoration in the quote database. Given that I know nothing about black metal, my my other question then is, who should I be listening to? What are the best bands in this genre? I have no idea. 
I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't care. Um, mostly what <laughs> I write about is 80s post-punk and recent bleepy industrial. Um, oh, okay. The stuff on the continuum from industrial to trance, more or less. You used to write a techno fanzine, didn't you? Yes, well, not so much a fan. It was a street mag weekly one called The Core in Adelaide, oh. uh, which was at the beginning of the 90s. Uh, so, yes, uh, that was very much uh, techno house hip-hop um, and related kind of genres out from there. And and correct, you can't make money at it. Let me. <laughs> it's amazingly bad for making money. So basically, no one reads Rock Nerd, and occasionally I post stuff to it. Sometimes it hits above its weight, you know. Like, um, I might review something, and the review gets twenty five hits. But also, someone like three copies sold off it, or something like that, and you go, "What the hell?" But um, it's not a bad hit rate. No, it, it's a bloody amazing one. So my inbox will never be empty. Um, but I largely spend my time on the blockchain thing because that's more or less turned into second half a job. Um, so the, I do the uh, sort of newsletter thing where I have a Patreon, which is currently around $400 a month to do this blog. Yeah. And, of course, I sell books and I freelance for money and there's not a lot of it, but as a spare second job, it's not too bad. We'll return to those things now. So I got an email from a savvy, very online friend the other day asking me to talk about NFTs, and I had no idea what he was referring to. Like, does that stand for not safe for work? What, is this, what does this mean? <laughs> Turns out he was really onto something. NFTs, which are basically digital collectibles, are now selling for huge bucks. It's a huge phenomenon. The pop star of the weekend is now planning to release a new song as an NFT. But the trend is also creating some real confusion. So let's bring in ABC's Deirdre Bolton, who's going to make us all rich. Deirdre, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> if only that were true, Dan. Listen, it is a strange new world, to be sure. And transactions are soaring into the multi-millions. Simply put, an NFT is a unique set of digital information. That unique quality is important for any kind of collector. It is a booming marketplace. NFTs. NFTs. What is this new system where digital-only products are bought and sold? It's the NFT or non-fungible token market. NFTs are uh, digital collectibles or digital creations that are images or videos uh, or animations that you can view and enjoy on the internet. But if you want to claim ownership of it, you need to own its digital record. From art to music to sports, it's a new phenomenon that is moving quickly and with big numbers. Oh my God. This digital artist recently sold his online masterpiece for a record $69 million. But even lesser-known digital creators are selling their online-only pieces for eye-catching prices. That clip is from Good Morning America, some of the greatest television in the world, all very jolly, all very, this is the latest fad, wow, money, money, famous names, but yeah, buy beware. But David, let's roll back. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, what uh, what are they? So um <laughs> so 
they're like digital tokens like any other. Like theoretically, you can tell one Bitcoin from another and trace Bitcoin transactions and so on. But mostly you don't care. You don't care which Bitcoins you have. You just care how many Bitcoins you have. You know, it's Someone like, who does care about that is, for example, Ostrac here in Australia, the Financial Crime Intelligence Agency, where yes. they are very interested in specifically which Bitcoin goes Absolutely. where. But I, but I digress. Yeah. Um, it's like if you have $10 notes, you don't care which ones you have mostly. You don't look at the serial numbers. You just care how much money you've got. Non-fungible tokens are different. They are cryptographic tokens on a blockchain. Let's mm -hmm. just assume these are digital objects, right? And these ones have an address in them. It might be a number. It might be a URL. It might be something like that. That's it. Okay. That's it. That's it. So That's the whole thing. All they have is a pointer it's, it's to a, a receipt. picture. It's a docket. It's a it, it's, okay. it's, it, it's a piece of paper except digital with an address on it. And if the address points to an artwork, you can say, that's a non-fungible token of the artwork. Now, it turns out that basically this was a massive craze during March, and I'm going to use the past tense now because... Well, it's April. The, uh, the, the market is crashing because it turns out, and you'll be shocked to hear this, the market was basically fake. It was a whole bunch of crypto investors pumping up the market. And it turns out there's no secondary market because no one cares about these things. And um, so you have all these people who paid a fortune for NFTs and a few people have bought them and got into them. And um, mostly the market turns out to be crypto pumpers trying to come up with a new form of magic bean to sell people for money. Well, people were saying, for example, that they had bought uh, Jack Dorsey, the, one of the founders of Twitter, is saying, I, I bought his first tweet for, I don't know, $19 million or some stupid amount like that. No, they didn't. They bought it for Ether, not for money, and it was one crypto pumper Ether buying it from another crypto pumper. Okay, so it's not money, money, but Ethereum, one of these altcoins, yep, yep. which for a certain amount of Ethereum, they claim that's $6 million, but it isn't until someone actually does it, like all of these things. Until they cash it in, assuming they don't crash the market by cashing in that much of it, because the market's really thin. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it, it was largely crypto people trading this stuff amongst themselves to try to pump the entire concept of cryptocurrency. Now, a few people got into it. Obviously, it's conceptual art. You can totally do real art with this stuff. I'm an is it art mm -hmm. maximalist, you know. Um, it, is it an art if it's done with artistic intent? Yeah, probably. That's fine. It might be terrible art, but it's probably art. So that's not the issue. The main issue is that there wasn't a real market. Artists were getting ripped off in this stuff because it turned out to cost like $100 of transaction fees just to make an NFT. And, you know, artists don't have money. Um, well, no, so, that's the basic problem. That's why they want to sell art. Exactly. No, well, they they want to sell art because they need to sell art to do art because they want to do art because they aren't. I think artists are actually worse at business than most people. <laughs> but if you took <laughs> the average person, artists yeah. would actually be worse because they're thinking about art, uh, not business. Well, well, exactly. And that's why there, ex now there are exceptions, but mostly I think that's from many decades of dealing with artists, holy crap. Uh, yeah, look, and. 
here's the thing: there is a, an excellent article in the Atlantic uh, saying its headline. Its headline is "What Critics Don't Understand About NFTs." They're saying that okay, you you buy a digital token which is alleged to indicate that you own a certain piece of art, even though the art is digital. For various senses of the word own, none of which are legal or moral rights. Exactly. They're trying to make the comparison that, let's say, you buy the Mona Lisa, which is not going to be a cheap exercise, one of the most famous paintings in the world, Nevertheless, that painting stays in the art gallery in the Louvre. It's open all the time. People can come in. They can look at it. They can get a print of it. You know, they can take a photograph of it and go home. They can buy postcards of it. But who, quote, owns, unquote, the painting? That's you. And that has value uh, as a boast for how wealthy you are, Something like this. It's a, it's an interesting argument, and I suggest people read it. But I then go back to the whole thing of rather than buying this magic digital beans, which says I am the quote owner unquote of some random piece of artwork that some poor struggling artist has just created. Why don't I just give the twenty five thousand dollars to that poor struggling artist so they can? Just make art and and avoid all of the digital beans. Yes, pretty much. It's like, um, so you can totally do artistic exercises with NFTs. Like I've spoken to people who've done this. Um, you can do fun, cool stuff, but largely it's crypto pumpers trying to make cryptocurrencies sound good and cool. And the high art market, which has done every financial shenanigan you can think of for decades with actual money and proper accountants and lawyers and stuff, mm-hmm. had a look at this and went, ooh, a new way to launder money. Because it turns out the, uh, money, uh, the money laundering cops have been cracking down on the high art market, um, particularly uh, in the last couple of years in America and Europe. They have been requiring art dealers to register as money transmission businesses because they blatantly are. There's oh, a whole wow. lot of shenanigans going on. I read about this in Foreign Policy um, where you have art, high art dealers. You have artworks that live in a climate-controlled warehouse in Geneva and they never leave. But rich well, guys- most artworks in museums sit in the basement in you know, the yeah. fridge there too. At they least in space. theory, the museum will rotate them through the gallery. But, you know, it's True. like, so the guys buy and sell these artworks, but all they're buying is a paper right to the artwork. So it's very like NFTs, except there's actual ownership involved. Mm. And this was, of course, used to shuffle around buckets of cash. In the um, Malaysian bribery scandal, 1MDB, um, Goldman Sachs were involved and it was all fabulously criminal. Uh, quite a lot of the money was shifted out by using um, high-end artworks. So oh. this is a thing that happens and that's why the money laundering cops are really cracking down on it. So these guys looked at crypto and went, oh, this is a lot less regulated. Perhaps we can get into this. And uh, okay. so this hasn't really worked out because people just aren't buying this bollocks. Um it's 
it's um, it's a and as I said, the market has basically collapsed. It turns out there's no secondary market. The market's been flooded with NFTs that people are never going to buy, and um, yeah, and the biggest NFT art sale ever, sixty nine million dollars worth of ether for someone's crappy JPEGs, turned out to be a crypto pumper who was already working with the artist on this stuff and had been trying to make NFTs into a thing since October. So, you know, well done, he did. But um, I'm, I'm That really does sound like it's a kind of fraud somehow. Well, technically and legally not. Morally, mm. you might say that word. Earlier this week, uh, there was a story about uh, NFTs that related to the Fire Festival, F-Y-R-E. Uh, for people who don't know about that, uh, there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix called Fire, the greatest party that never happened. Essentially, it was going to be this huge luxury music festival on a private island in the Caribbean, uh, but it turned out to be a total failure and at least one of its organisers is in jail uh, for fraud. One of the things... One of the many, many things that went wrong was that everyone was promised luxury meals throughout, but what they actually got was a cheese sandwich and a sad-looking piece of lettuce in a styrene box. Now, on the day, a guy called Trevor de Haas, he's just one of the people who paid out money to go to what he thought was going to be the best festival in ever, he tweeted a photograph of that, and now he's selling an NFT of that tweet to pay for his kidney transplant. Now, this is incredibly complicated because, I mean, I tweeted about this the other day and all I said was I have complicated feelings about this and I was immediately pounced on by some guy who's both a nurse in the transplant business and a crypto bro. He said, what's so complicated about it? I said, well, you know. Everything? Everything. The fact that that he's a guy who needs a kidney transplant, which is a terrible situation to be in, but his country, he's American, um, you know, Has can't a help him. medical system. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, if you go to buy travel insurance, going to the third world, which I have, going to the US, it's the same rates. You, know, <laughs> you have to pay the same medical insurance rates going to the US, travel and medical travel medical insurance, not the travel bit, just the medical bit. You have you pay the same price going to the US as you do going to Tanzania. Fantastic. So so that's that's just NFT as a GoFundMe for his medical expenses and Well and he does have a GoFundMe going. Uh, and he needs fifty thousand US. He's got about three thousand so far, so he's in trouble. As I said, no, this is complex. It's a society where he's having to resort to what is effectively a scam to live, which is bad. And and this guy thought, oh, are you saying that he should die rather than do scams? And I said, no, 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 I'm not saying that. No, the, this is because Bitcoiners have a keen understanding of the concept of good for Bitcoin. And what's good for Bitcoin might change mid-sentence, but as long as you say things that are good for Bitcoin, <laughs> then they're good for Bitcoin. They have a very yes. keen. There is no such thing as bad news for Bitcoins. If you think about it, total ecological collapse, nuclear war, a comet obliterating the Earth would those are good news for Bitcoin if you really think about it. 
So, yeah. I mean, um, if I think about it in a way that makes my brain hurt. If Fire Festival guy gets some crypto bro to give him $25,000 of Ether, then it's better in his pocket than their pocket. I'll, I'll say well, that. Well, yeah, he, he can... You can get, you know, half a kidney with it. If if artists get money from NFTs and it's paid out by crypto bros who want to pump their crypto, better in the artist's pocket than in the crypto bros' pocket. I'll say that's for sure. Anything that pays artists, I'm a big fan of. I am highly sceptical that NFTs are somehow the magical trick and it turns out they're turning out not to be. Which is shocking us all. It's a shock. Uh, Australian musician Brendan McLean tweeted, uh, yesterday, day before. What if I just send you a GIF for $25,000 and you could just tell yourself it's an NFT? Absolutely. I sell paper-based NFTs of my book. Um, you send me money and I post <laughs> you a token which has a unique written introduction in it and you have an NFT and it's different. Are you signing the, the front of them? You're I'm signing, I'm the, signing the inside flyleaf. Fly it's great. Beautiful. Number them. That's fabulous. No, no, I don't um, number them. People might know how many that were out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a limited edition of um, In Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, you, you do mention uh, British comedian or comedy character Philomena Kunk. Now, I published a story in ZDNet this week, which we won't go into now because we've we're going for ages, but... The whole idea of it, it's related to blockchain and digital tokens and magic money and so on. But there, there is a wonderful piece uh, from Philomena Kunk's uh, episode of Moments of Wonder where she talks about money and she makes this observation. When you have a coin, where is the, the money in that coin? If I were to take a coin and cut it open... Could I take the money out of that coin and then it'd be empty? No, the coin is a token. The, the, the whole point about the coins in your pocket is they're universally accepted as a way of buying things. That's what the money is. How much does it cost to make a one pence piece? Because it's if it's less than one pence, then it's a con, isn't it? But if it's like more than one pence, then... Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of not yeah. worth it then. Yeah, yeah. It costs a tiny amount of money to um, create a one penny piece. And that's what so they're the- ripping us off. She's really close to what is going on, isn't she? Pretty much, yeah. Money is basically made up ration tickets, and you may have some opinions politically about how the world works right now and who gets the money and who doesn't and why someone should accumulate billions of ration tickets and so forth. More broadly, looking at this whole field, and not long to go now in this little podcast, how do you read <laughs> – this is the question I wrote, wrote down. How do you read the ethics of this whole crypto field in general? Well, it turns out <laughs> that I don't think very highly of them. <laughs> Good heavens, yes. Um, so there are some <laughs> – Good people trying to do nice things, I think they're wrong, but they're not, like, evil. But there are quite a lot of people who are just scammers. All the innovation in crypto in the last 10 years, since you could change it for money, has been larger and more elaborate ways to scam people. Like, that's literally all the innovation. Um, 
And things like since 2017, when we had the big Bitcoin bubble, which turned out to be a massive pump, um, <laughs> it was <laughs> someone. Tra- the 2013 bubble was a massive pump on the Mt. Gox Bitcoin exchange. The 2017 bubble appears to be in a massive pump by a company called Tether, who make dollar substitute tokens like. They're like one. Each one's worth a dollar, but they move as fast as crypto without all that annoying regulation and um, stuff getting in the way of making money move as fast as possible. And the twenty twenty to twenty one. Wait, sorry, move as fast as crypto, i.e., slowly. Once every ten minutes, but without um, these sort of people who know what they're doing or the money laundering crooks being able to see what you're doing, which is a very popular product um so ever since the 2017 bubble popped they've desperately been trying to get crypto to pump again like that was all of 2018 2019 in those years you'll have seen the price go up and down a lot and like bitcoin's thirteen thousand dollars but no one really took it seriously because it was really obviously manipulated like people talk about Mm. oh um bitcoin is moving up because the gold market is doing this and the fed has done this and so on and so forth that's all narrative. It's a thinly traded market that's not susceptible to macro influences. It is largely manipulated, which is why you see price graphs that go up in $500 in five minutes, and then they hover there and then down $500 in five minutes. You see this on thinly traded commodities like metals or whatever, obscure metals, um, because this is what manipulation looks like. And most of the explanation for that was that people were pumping the price up and down on the actual dollar exchanges so they could win margin bets on a derivatives exchange. Um, This is sort of complex and technical if you don't know how financial trading works and how scams in financial trading work, but it explains most of 2018-2019. Then in 2020, the pandemic hit Everything crashed in March 2020. Everyone sold out of everything and went to dollars. The hardest, most valuable currency in the world was turned out to be the US dollar. Um, that destroyed Bitcoin's narrative, by the way. A hedge against inflation. When the dollar collapses, everyone will flood to the hardest, most valuable money, Bitcoin. We mean Bitcoin. It didn't. Huh. They all sold out of Bitcoin as well, because it turns out no one believed the Bitcoin pitch at all. Um so then they pumped in tethers at a fantastic rate. Um, these are apparent, supposed to be backed one-to-one by dollars in a bank account somewhere. Then they were backed by bitcoins somewhere or loans to other parts of other companies associated with tether. Basically, it's an unregulated market printing dollars out of thin air. Well, I was just thinking um, with, with a regular currency, there's, there's someone some there who is basically saying, yeah, here's what we are doing to underwrite that and it's no longer warehouses full of gold it's called say in the case of the australian dollar the economy of australia saying yeah we're good for it and but also most money is not printed by central banks it's like about 20 percent comes from a central bank 80 percent of money creation is is commercial banks learning to businesses People don't know this. Mm. So they hear ah, the weird bond ass, market and things. They yes. hear weird ass Bitcoin economics and they go, Oh, that must be how the world works. No, it's not. It's made up bullshit. That's not how anything works, you know. And <laughs> so a lot of what I do is having to explain like, yeah, this is how finance actually works to people. 
it's it's great fun. But so the Bitcoin market, the 2020 bubble, was basically pumped by tethers. Um, they pumped it by a process of manipulation on um, various unregulated Bitcoin exchanges, up to $20,000, up to $40,000. They were printing a billion fake dollars every day. Now, how, many, how high could you pump the price of a commodity if you had a billion fake dollars every day to put into it? Mm, then it finally high. took off into retail around 2021 20, in February or so. Basically, I blame Elon Musk. Getting back to our <laughs> our favourite... Ancient um, cunt, yes. Our favourite... Um, I don't know whether he's... Public nerd. Yes. <laughs> but, um, on, it, so, on a final positive note, uh, I do want to say, though, Chuck Tingle... Uh, who people who listen to the pod regularly will know who I mean by Chuck Tingle. He has spoken. He has issued one of his Tingler mini books with the rather meta title, not pounded by my book, pounded in the butt by my non-fungible Tingler. That is literally this NFT because of the current catastrophic environmental and ethical impact. Yes. So that's great. Um, basically, all the <laughs> I love his work. All the artists went, oh, NFTs, money, I'll do that. That sounds artistic and fun because, you know, it is. Um, I mean, the best thing for NFTs is for the NFT market to collapse because then people can do something that's interesting with it. But um, Tingle looked at this. He went, I'm going to do an NFT. And all his fans went, Dr. Tingle, perhaps you should reconsider. Because <laughs> it turns out the environmental impact is considerable. Um, your NFT, its share of the uh, CO2 load of Ethereum is like 30 kilos per transaction. And so Tingle looked at it and went, this is bad, and decided to do a book about how he was not going to do an NFT. And it's a non-erotic book. It is quite oh. work safe. It is fabulous. And I spent £2.14 on it and heartily recommend it. Yeah, it's about three bucks or something in Australian yeah. dollars. He's wonderful. And on that note, David Jarrett, ending up recommending Dr. Chuck Tingle as a source on NFTs. Thanks Absolutely. so much for your time. You are most welcome. That's the edict for now. And uh, hey, you've got some book recommendations this time. How cool is that? Please consider going to the 9pmedic.com slash moreautumn2021. I reckon we need a few more of these episodes slash moreautumn2021. Until the next episode, I'm Stilgerian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry. Just before I go, a quick plug for something else. We do have the 8pm quiz live stream happening once a month on uh, the YouTube. Uh, it's a it's a pub-style quiz thing. Uh, the one for April, uh, it kind of went a bit bad this week with some technical problems. So that, uh, if, you, if you're listening to this early enough, Tuesday night, the 20th of April uh, at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Look out for the 8pm quiz on YouTube. It'll be a lot of fun. And then there's uh, another one in May and June. They're normally the third Thursday of the month. Uh, this one's a, a little bit special. Uh, give it a go. Uh, and if we do start building the audience, I'll, uh, I'll keep going. 
That's the 8pm quiz. Hope to see you there.